Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from both academia and industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. So I'd like to speak first. Um, how you'd like to define yourself for the audience when you be first time listening to you? Okay, so basically I, I, I'm between, I would say, uh, biology and engineering, so mostly bioengineering, but by training I'm a physicist. And uh, in, in my times there was really no training at TPFL in Switzerland or in Europe in general, so I had to go to US to, to add a little bit of uh, biology to my background as physicist. I was mostly physicist and biomechanician, so and I know it's really an in-between situation between clinics, biology and, uh, and engineering. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I guess ask you what would be something that could be um, very common between biology and engineering, the way of thinking, or maybe it's completely different because we have a episode about biology, for example, you know, but it, it's, it's hard sometimes we have this question. For you, what kind of maybe challenging for you to combine both domains? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's uh, it, it's an interesting question because we are really the three fields: it's uh, engineer, biology, and, and medicine. And uh, what uh, strikes me since uh, my many years in, in in these different fields is that we really, as an engineer, are trained to solve the problem of the others. While in biology or in medicine, they are really focused on their own problem. And it's always the engineers that needs to make the extra effort to get, uh, for example, the, the specific language of clinician or biologist. And it, it, it's really an education situation, which is, which is quite, I, I would say, quite uh, interesting in a way. Uh, as engineers, we, we're here to basically help the other to develop what they want to do. Sometimes it's frustrating because uh, you may be in a situation that you work for the others, while it's not completely true. But, but still, it's, it, it's really strike, it strikes me really the, the difference in mentality between uh, the, the different field, uh, that, uh, the different person I, I work with. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe I guess what kind of problems do you... I, first of all, you can tell more about your research and your lab. What kind of problems do you try to solve with audience to just mm-hmm. give an idea about what kind of yes. problems? Yeah, so, so, so basically my, uh, my field of research is in the uh, musculoskeletal field and it's, it's mostly uh, tissue being affected by different kinds of, uh, of injuries or disorders and uh, I, I, I take the, the, the perspective of biomechanics, so uh, I, I, I define this tissue as a biomechanical structure and when there is a problem uh, we try first to understand it and to define them and then maybe to find solution to help them to heal so uh, the, the, the the situation the the research i'm, I'm trying to do is at, at both level is understanding what's going on wrong in a, in a tissue and try to find a solution to restore it uh, with hopefully some clinical application mm-hmm. So is it something related to, because I think in sort of robotic career, speak about self-healing and uh, capability for robots in general. Is this something you try to do and which level you're trying to do that? Yes, that, that is the ideal actually, to try to, to use the body own possibility to heal and help the body with different kinds of, of metal. So this is the ideal, but uh, in reality, this is not so often the case. Uh, at least in musculoskeletal situation, because we have to face 
usually a very high loading situation. And so the, the, the patient wants to go back quite quickly to a normal activity. And so the healing aspect for, for bone, it's okay. Healing is quite fast, but the other tissue, mostly soft tissue, the healing aspect is quite slow. For example, in cartilage, it's even almost inexistent. And so you may try to drive the body to go to some healing aspect, but uh, with cartilage, that would be very difficult. So most of the time, what you try to do is to develop a, an implant kind of materials that will replace uh, the, the defect tissues, for example, cartilage, and will not be really replaced by normal tissue. So it's a different perspective, but tissue engineering, I'm working also on tissue engineering. Tissue engineering, the goal of tissue engineering is to try to restore the, the tissue, but that is not always possible with different kind of tissue we have, especially as I mentioned, soft tissue. Sometimes it's difficult to, to get the self mm. of soft tissues. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to ask you what kind of question do you have in this process? What kind of question do you have to consider for design? Uh, yeah, yeah. For, for for example, okay, you have you have different kind of constraint because what you develop in the lab could not be directly obviously used uh, in a patient. So, uh, for example, if you want to use different kind of material, you are already restricted to the kind of material you can use because they have to be biocompatible. They have to be uh, also somehow obviously regulated. And so, the even if in the lab you can define or develop the best material you could imagine. To translate that into a clinical application is not always easy. Actually, it's never easy. But even if you have developed something which is fantastic, sometimes yeah. if, if it is too far from what is already existing, then you will have almost no chance to translate that into an application. So, so the constraint is that you have to start from something which is not too far of what is existing. So that limits a lot the possibility, for example, of material you could use to treat different kinds of tissue. You have to stick basically to deep, to a very limited number of uh, materials that you could use. So mm -hmm. that's a difficulty uh, as an engineer because you are not free. You, you don't have a wide pages in front of you and you try to develop something uh, to, for example, in cartilage to develop a, a new material. It's not like that. You have already some constraint initially with the material you can use and also with the clinical uh, setting uh, you will work with. So you even if you can be very creati creative, this is very common what you can do. Mm -hmm. So what could be the limitation in that case? If you speak about the constraint, what could be limitation is he currently in the, what you have already from developed in, in this technology in particular. So yeah. what could be the limitation here? Yeah, the most difficult aspect, uh, unfortunately, is not an engineering aspect, is really a regulation aspect. So regulatory efforts are very, very difficult if you want to develop something for a clinical, uh, for, for a human application. And uh, this is also something which is a bit frustrating because uh, you, you develop something in the lab in a couple of years, and it's maybe quite good, but to bring that into a clinical application, then it takes almost, it doubles the time that uh, you have used to develop it. And so uh, we made some press release recently on the materials that we use that could be used for uh, cartilage or for bone. And then I receive a lot of phone call of people saying, oh, I would be very happy if I can use that in my situation, which is difficult. And then I have to explain to them, okay, despite it seems very good and very promising, we still need probably five to 10 years to bring that into a clinical application. So this is really the most, I would say, the most frustrating aspect of my research is the time that is needed to bring something into a real application. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. So I'm guessing in that case you speak about maybe the durability or 
how the yeah what kind of tests do you believe that take a lot of time to make sure this technology is safe and also has this kind of durability and yeah what kind of things you look for and maybe come sometimes it could fail or you have a huge success later yeah mm -hmm. so okay so so the most important aspect initially is obviously the safety that's obviously very very important but then you have to develop something that could really make a difference compared to what is already existing uh, is uh, for different kind of application and uh, it's uh, it's always uh, i would say a balance between developing something which may really be very good and something which may be also very safe so it's it's uh, it's always a balance that it's always uh, a choice that you have to to find so working in, in biomaterials so in uh, in the field of biomedical it's always a kind of you have to weight the advantage versus the disadvantage or, or the benefit versus uh, the, the risks that you take and as an engineer in in bioengineering you're not really prepared to that you you have a kind of naive approach to okay i have a very good idea i would like to apply it so it seems very very interesting but then it's become impossible to develop into an application because of all the constraints. Mm -hmm. There's a trade-off do you believe that when you try to design what you're trying to do, it is something you can avoid as a trade-off when you try to design uh, what you're doing? Yeah, actually you, you have to have a, a little bit of experience. So if you, if you uh, at the beginning of your career, you, it's, it's really nice to have someone who can really help you to, to go in a direction yeah. that makes sense. Uh, for, uh, for 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 the surgeon, for uh, example, initially, or for the regulatory affairs. So, uh, the trade-off between something very useful and something that you can really build is based on the experience you, you could have. And uh, I have to I have to say that it's 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 a long pass again. So I, I repeat myself, but it, it's a long pass to try to develop something for uh, for a clinical application, and it's. It's really a kind of uh, trial and error, but uh, what is also kind of uh, a bit frustrating is all what you do in the lab is just here to prove that it is possible, but it counts for nothing when you want to translate that into a clinical application, because then you have to repeat everything you've done into a kind of quality insurance system or in a kind of GLP, so good laboratory practice that we don't really do usually in the research lab. So this is also something that you have to consider when you develop something. So you have to make something that could be simple so that when you have to repeat it, it does not take too long to, uh, to uh, repeat all the experiments you've done initially in the lab, and then you have to redo it for, uh, for regulation aspect. Mm -hmm. That's a very important point. I'm just asking that case because you mentioned about, I think, in the what we do in the lab sometimes, it's not 100% sure that it will be used in clinical application. So do you mm -hmm. think when it comes to academic certain, um, do you think it's, it's sometimes hard because where you have this kind of publication issue here that you have to publish results, uh, most of the results always, and you now you speak about it's not 100% sure it will be good to clinical. And it's really yeah. hard to see from it. Too. So how do you yeah. see it kind of Two world that you're trying to do research and also something beneficial to people, but it takes a lot of time. Yeah, it, it's an interesting point because uh, first, if you really want to bring something into a clinical application, you need to have a patent on what you do. Because if you don't have a patent, then nobody will finance the next stage of development, which is very expensive. And so when you fill a patent, you basically cannot publish initially. So you, you delay 
the academic your academic career but by trying to protect a little bit what you have done and so this is also something to consider when uh, when uh, you want to develop something you have to think okay so you have different paths so either you develop something uh, and you try to publish and you get a very nice publication uh, that maybe is uh, I stick to the, the situation of bone or cartilage that maybe will help to heal the cartilage on the bone. So you publish it, but if you do not patent it, uh, the uh, irony, irony of this is that you demonstrate it is good, but then there will be no chance it could be used in clinics because then you have you have no chance to put a patent. And if you have no patent, you will not find any financial support to develop it into a clinical application. So it's a kind of a, a very uh, irony situation that uh, okay, either you can combine both, but most of the time, either you go for academic aspect and you publish and you not really think about the, the other aspect, or you wait, and then your academic career will be a little bit uh, on hold, maybe not too long, but uh, then you will have the possibility to valorize what you have done later on into uh, an application. And, and the key aspect, like in every, in every situation in life, is the money. And so if you don't have a patent, you will never find any money to develop what you have developed. So mm -hmm. this is... Something yeah. to have to consider. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I'm curious to ask you business experience. What kind of maybe so aspects you still hard for you to understand when it comes to me? I don't know when stages do you say that it's really hard to understand something in the process, I don't know, design or maybe when it got to a clinical trial. I don't know what kind of no. aspects is still hard to understand for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, being between biology and engineering, I have to say that it's much more easy to work on the engineering aspect because most of the time you can control almost all the parameters or all the variables and uh, it's more difficult then to translate that into really a, a biological some, something with a biological effect that you can control as an example uh, if you think about the imaging uh, that uh, we have in in the medical field it is it's very very powerful and uh, it's very important you can get very nice uh, image or a very nice description of a tissue or whatever but then what do you do with this then the surgeon basically uh, get too much got too much information and don't know exactly what to do with it so this is really where i see the, the difficulties as an engineer we push the limit of uh, uh, diagnostic or, or maybe therapeutic aspect but as biologists and physicians come into play then for them, it's more difficult to understand really what they can do with all this information. And so this is where I see the, the, the gap between uh, what we can do as an engineer and what we can do as what the, the physician can do with all the information we gave to them. There is mm -hmm. obviously a, a big gap here. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm curious to ask you about the characteristics you're looking for when we speak about the material. Do you think when we looked as a human, I am, since you work in orthopedics, so do you think what kind of material do you think have to have be very tough and, and, and fatigue resistant or damage resistant? It is something like characteristic you envision. It's hard, as mentioned, in this field. But for you, the engineering side, you think that what kind of metal or materials in general do you think could be more tough and fatigue resistant? Than human already how or human design already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how can accomplish all that. Indeed, initially, uh, when, when, I, when I started in the field, I, I was really surprised that we needed to make so much mechanical studies on material we would use in, in, the, in the body, for example, on metal, because metal has a so 
uh, much higher mechanical properties than, for example, bone or cartilage or whatsoever. But then, and you mentioned this, there is this fatigue problem. And uh, our body can basically heal fatigue uh, kind of damage, but the material we put in the body will not heal itself. So that's why we need really to understand the fatigue aspect if we use metal, for example, as, a, as an implant. But if we use other uh, material which could be used in, for soft tissue, so for example, hydrogel, then we still have the same kind of problem with the fatigue uh, resistant aspect. And hydrogel are mostly not fatigue resistant. So uh, you need to develop different kinds of new materials. And that has been, we saw a big boom uh, this last 10 years. So we see that uh, there is a high uh, level of development, for example, for hydrogel to make them more tough. Uh, just to mention one, one aspect, there is the, the aspect of uh, double network system. So an hydrogel can be made with different kinds of networks that will help to to basically make them fatigue resistant. Uh, but yes, the fatigue aspect is really one of the key aspects to be uh, to be developed uh, when you develop material for uh, biomedical application. Uh, and or if you look for a material that could be replaced by uh, a, a, a tissue in, in your body, then you have to combine a little bit the fatigue aspect and the degradability of your material to make it uh, degradable in a time frame that would allow the body mm. to build a new tissue. And this is, again, something which is kind of difficult. And this basically come to your question before. As an engineer, we can design quite well a material that can degrade over a couple of weeks, over a couple of, uh, of months, or a couple of days. But we don't exactly know what is the target in the body for, for different kind of tissue. Should it be degradable in days or in months or in years? That's something still we don't, we don't know. So as an engineer, we can develop many things, but we're not sure that the target is really clearly uh, seen from the biological point of view. That's an interesting point. I'm curious in that case, how do you see that you can reach this, yeah, or answer this question? Is it lying in, in the test setup? We, how we do the testing for that before? Where is the area do you believe that we can focus more or push more so that we can answer what you mentioned now? Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think you have to go in, in parallel in the uh, in, in the different fields. So uh, you, you develop uh, different kind of technology for for material development, but you also develop different techniques to understand what's going on into the body. And uh, with the information you have from the biological study or clinical studies, and you can go back with the development of material. So it's, it's really a, a feedback loop that, uh, that uh, uh, goes. And uh, the important aspect is really to try to collaborate between the different fields and uh, get the information transfer from one field to the other. But again, usually it's the engineers that do the job to try to get the information from, from the others, from the biology or from the clinical uh, field, uh, and uh, try to integrate this kind of information into the development of new materials. So, uh, but, but you have to really to collaborate between the different fields so that you can hopefully yeah. develop something that uh, can be used. Yeah. So when it comes to technological blocks, what could be the technological blocks do you believe that you think the, you have it? Maybe in the engineering side, I don't know from biology if you can mention also any things that you believe it's still maybe yeah, needed to be to be considered so that we can push the line as you mentioned. What could be technological blocks do, do you believe that we have? 
Yeah. Yeah. In my in my specific field, uh, what we like to have is uh, to have something which is minimally invasive. So, for example, if I would like to to treat your knee with uh, with a cartilage defect. I would like to have something that can be injected and could be polymerized in situ. This is something we, we, we can do, actually. But still, it's difficult to inject a metal and control its mechanical properties, control its adhesive properties, uh, and control its degradability, its degradable uh, properties. So uh, this is where I think uh, the, 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 some studies should uh, focus on there, some studies focusing on that. It's really to make what uh, is developed uh, easily. Uh, I mean, the, the surgeon should have to, to manipulate that easily. And, and for him, the easiest way would be to have some things that could be injected and could be controlled uh, during the in-situ uh, polymerization. And there, I think there are still a lot that can be done. Uh, and uh, that would be uh, obviously the focus of what I, I will do in the future in my lab also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe just a follow-up question on that point. Do you think when it comes to to test or simulate that thing, how it work or how you expected the result should look like, and how do you see that? Do you go for the VV application or just vitro and try to simulate these properties like human bones? I don't know if you can tell more about that. What kind of approach do you use to validate the result to be ready? Yeah, yeah you, are, you, are, you have a very long pass because initially you need to basically characterize from a mechanical point of view what you have developed uh, then you have to evaluate the biocompatibility so that means you have to culture cell on the different uh, material you develop and it, it, it's always a stop and go situation so if everything is okay then you can imagine to go on a small animal model so mostly we, mm -hmm. we use rodent to evaluate uh, the, the development of the material we've done if this is promising then you can go to a large animal study so then you have uh, some problem that comes because it's very expensive so you develop your study on large animal study and the, if this is okay <laughs> then basically you would probably attract maybe some investor and uh, they will come into your your if you make a startup or whatever they, they will come come with you and try to invest that and then you have to go back to the first stage you have to make the material again with completely uh, control environment and you redo the mechanical test you reduce the small animal test you reduce the large animal test and here you have data that you can present to a regulatory affair agency that will let you know if you can then try to a clinical study and then you tr you do a first uh, clinical study um, uh, first on safety on, on a couple of patients and if that's look great then you can do a clinical trial where you will have more patients and you see the benefit of what you have and if this is okay then bingo maybe you can really have a, a, a return on investment but you can imagine that this it takes something like 10 years to 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 go to from the first id to hopefully a first mm. clinical study Great. thank you for hearing that yeah so since I close the end, I have a few questions. This one, um, I don't know if there is any moment in your research experiences and what you're doing. You have any kind of results you get was counterintuitive or surprising that sometimes it is happening. I don't know if you have any moments you didn't expect this kind of behavior or yeah, yeah it was counterintuitive to what you designed. Yeah, actually, uh, and this is, uh, so we have developed a material that can control the bone formation. Uh, and we use that to prevent uh, osteoporotic fracture. So it's a fracture that come mostly on uh, the elderly people. 
And this is, by the way, this is a very huge problem. So there is mm. something like 70% of the women who will have a fracture of, uh, of a bone uh, when they are 60. So it's a huge number. And uh, so we try to prevent that by reinforcing locally the bone. And uh, what we were targeting initially is that we, were, we wanted to combine an hydrogel with an, a drug that is existing that will basically slow down the resorption of the bone. And uh, what we discover, and that was completely unexpected, is that the drug that we use, which was designed for reducing the bone resorption, was also uh, responsible for bone formation. So we could increase the, uh, the bone density. Uh, and, uh, and that was really something surprising. And that, will, that has helped us to design uh, a new kind of biomaterial that would be used to, to prevent uh, fracture of bone because we can locally increase the bone density. So that was completely unexpected. And uh, this is, uh, as, as you mentioned, this is some, sometimes the, the beauty of, of what we do. You have to be prepared to, and this is where basically the, the ex excitement is coming from. It's when you have something that you do not expect because this is mm -hmm. where you can have really uh, something interesting to, uh, mm -hmm. to discover. Yeah. yeah. So since you have been working into the main now, though, I'm curious about the way of thinking about the problem, approaching the problem. What's something changing in your mind when trying to design something and consider the biology aspect? What could be something you gained by working in two different domains? I don't know what you gained through this work experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's difficult, but it's it's also very stimulating. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I realize that uh, I work with uh, different surgeon on different field, and uh, most of the time, so it's at the university level. This uh, this guy are professor of medicine on different branches, and then I realize that this guy spend one hour of his time, of his precious time, to explain to me, an engineer, something which otherwise it would have been difficult for me to, to understand. And so I feel really privileged in the sense that it's an exchange really of, uh, of ideas. But uh, when you can really have a very high level of discussion with, uh, with someone which, who is not in your field, then the gap of knowledge you get, you acquire in, in, in one hour is just huge. Uh, because I could speak with my colleague, my, my engineer colleagues for hours without maybe learning something very new but i can talk like half an hour with a biologist or with a, with a physician and then i get really a huge amount of data i was not aware of so i think this is really where it's uh, very nice to have this kind of multidisciplinary uh, research mm. you, you 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 learn a lot that's very point. yeah i guess you think ego is important for you when you try to i don't know it's a very hard domain very hard to see, obviously, but a long time. Sometimes ego do you think is important when you try to design something or propose ideas? <laughs> yeah, this is a sensitive question because uh, I, I think, uh, and here again, I can see the huge difference between engineers, biologists, and, uh, and physicians. And if I put a scale uh, with uh, uh, profession and ego, so the engineer will have the OS ego, then the biologist will have a bit bigger ego, and then you have the surgeon with a very big ego. But if, <laughs> if you, you try it really to, to, to have a very positive and constructive dis discussion, then after a couple of times, then, okay, everyone is on the same page. But, but initially, that's very true that... Uh, uh, and here again, it comes from the from the, the formation we get as an engineer to try to 
basically solve the problem of the others. So the ego is a bit obviously lower in that situation than if you think that the surgeon uh, would consider you as a technician that will help him to do his great job. He's doing a great job, I mean, <laughs> obviously, but, but then the ego problem could, could be, if, if you do not pay attention, if it could be a problem, but otherwise, mm. I mean, that's, that could yeah. be a little bit of fun. I make fun of my uh, colleague uh, surgeons also sometimes, so. Yeah, and what could be the most important quality you have been? You have to maintain also in, the, in what you do. What could be the most important quality? Yeah, it's a communication, uh, mm. especially in multidisciplinary aspect. You have to communicate communicate a lot. Uh, otherwise, everyone is staying on his own uh, comfort zone and uh, try to stick to the field they are for. And uh, by communicating, you try to open the channel so that people feel comfortable to really share the knowledge with the others so i think yeah and this is also something as an engineer we do not really learn uh, in uh, when we are at school it's because when i i mean communication is not only communication uh, like, like uh, presenting data uh, you have to imagine that a surgeon has something like 15 minutes to 20 minutes of free time between different kind of important thing he's doing so if you communicate not at his level what i mean by by his level is I mean, if you don't use his languages, uh, his language, he will not catch anything and it will be not a good communication. So as an engineer, you really have to basically uh, try to adapt your level of uh, communication to uh, what uh, people can, can get. Uh, doesn't mean that we are more intelligent. This is absolutely not what I want to say, but the, the technicality could be a difficult things to communicate to, uh, to people in the field of biology or... Or, yeah. uh, or, or clinics or in clinical fields. Yeah. That's a very important point. Very, very important one. Yeah. I don't know if you have any book you, you have read, inspired you. I don't know, maybe inside you feel outside you would like to share. Do you have any book inspired you? you have yeah, actually, uh, but but it's absolutely not in the uh, in in the field of yeah. engineering. I, I have my actually I I, read, I I have my book right here. Okay. It's it's Alan Watts. All right, and it's okay, the wisdom of that. insecurity. I don't know if you know it. Uh, Can please? It, it's a French yeah, version yeah. here, but uh, oh, it's, uh, okay. it's the wisdom of insecurity. Mm -hmm. uh, from Alan Watts, and I think this is something which is, uh, for me, that was really uh, uh, helping me to go out of my comfort zone, because as soon as, as long as you stay in your comfort zone, when, when you think you are in a secure zone, actually, you're not in a secure zone. It's much better to be in an insecure zone, because you, you learn much more, and then at the end, you are secure in an insecure zone. That's very beautiful. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So I don't know if you have any final words or maybe advice with giving to you and with life changing. Maybe if you have any advice with life changing to you, I don't know if you have received any. Yeah, I, I hate to give advices because people have yeah. to find their own way and people don't like advices. Yeah. If any advices I could, I could give is that try to have fun on what you do. Uh, when my student come uh, and, and ask me, what should I do? Should I go to industry? Should I go to do a... a a PhD, the only thing I tell them is do not consider a career, just consider to have fun because at the end you will win. Because if you make a career plan and you don't get it, then you lose. 
while if you have fun, you always win because you have fun every yeah. time you do something. So that's my only advice. Try to that's have good. fun on what you do. That's all. That's very wise. That's very wise. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if you have any final words you'd like to say for the audience who listen to me. I thank you for your time and uh, thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure to discuss with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It was really enjoyable. And thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I try to have you again. Thank you.